Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. So, Brother Paul, we're on a mission tonight. Psalm 37 and verse 5 will be our opening text. Psalm 37 and verse 5. Anybody here have a Bible? Are you waiting on the (laughs) screens? Look what it says. This is going to be our message tonight. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in Him. And there's a slim chance... Oh, there's a great probability. Mm. And he will bring it to pass. Is that what that says? Commit your way. So did you come tonight with a way? What's your situation? What are you experiencing? What are you going through? What are you encountering this evening? What has challenged you and me, all of us, this evening? No matter what it is, we know that in this world we're going to have challenges. We're going to have tribulation. We're going to have satanic attacks against our lives. Because we're living in a world, and Jesus said we would. He said there's storms that come to every single one of us. Is that not true? Mm Mm-hmm. But he also said that we don't have to be overcome by the storm, didn't he? Well, no matter what our way is, if we commit our way to the Lord, number one, and trust in Him, number two, He said that He would bring it to pass. Now, how fair is that? We've got to do two-thirds of the work. He only does one-third. We have to commit, and we have to trust. And then He says, and then I'll do my part. I will bring it to pass. Right? Well, I think he has the harder part, don't you? I think so. So whatever our way may be tonight, I want you to think about this. When you commit something to God, what are we saying? I am completely giving it over to you. Surrendering it completely over to you. As far as I'm concerned, it's no longer in my hands. I am giving it to you, Lord. No matter what the situation may be, it could be a child that's wayward. I'm going to commit him to you. It could be a marriage that's, say, under stress. I'm going to commit my marriage to you. It could be a financial burden that you're going through. I'm committing my way to you. It could be a sickness or a disease attacking your physical body. I'm going to commit my way to you. But after I commit my way to you, I'm going to trust. Because you're a faithful God. And I trust that you're taking care of the situation so that you can bring it to pass. And oftentimes I like to use this illustration because I believe it's probably one of the most powerful illustrations that I can think of to really reveal to us what true faith is all about. You know, true faith is unconscious faith. Unconscious. It means you act unconsciously. The things that we do unconsciously really tell us about who we are on the inside. Let me explain that. 
I know it's the day in which we live a little bit different than years gone by. But I used to work in a mill. And when I worked in a mill, I would work 40, 60 sometimes hours a week, 70, whatever. Work doubles and, and, and all that. And when I got done with my work after two weeks, I got a paycheck. And of course, like anybody else, I looked at that paycheck. And the bigger it was, the happier I was. What about you? But I took that paycheck and I walked over to the home savings and loan. In one case, it's called the savings and trust company. And I walked over and I took my check and I handed it to the clerk and said to the clerk, I'd like you to deposit that in my checking account. Okay? So once, it, once I gave it to her and I walked out, of course, I had a receipt in my hand. But I walked away, and when I got outside the door, even though I committed my check to her, or to him, when I walked outside the door, I didn't walk outside the door and go, oh my goodness, is she going to put that in the right account? Is she really going to take care of my check? What am I going to do if I go to the grocery store and I write out a check, and there's not enough money there to cover it? Then what am I going to do? I won't know what to do. I'll be embarrassed. Today, of course, we have debit cards and all that sort of thing. You swipe your debit card. Debit card. What if there's not enough money there to cover it? I did not walk out of that banking institution with one doubt. Not an ounce of doubt in my thought process about where that money went. About whether or not it would be available to me if I wrote out a check on the account. I unconsciously walk out, go about my day, do my business, whether you write out a check or swipe your card or whatever you do, there is not even a thought in the mind about whether or not they have taken care of your money. Now, unless you had some bizarre thing happen to you at a banking institution, for the most part, we trust the banking institution with our funds, do we not? Absolutely. Can I ask you a question? Is a banking institution more trustworthy than the God that you and I serve? Is it? Then why is it easier to walk out of a bank and believe that God is, I mean, believe that the teller did the right thing and the bank is doing me right than is to walk out of the throne in that place of prayer after saying, Lord, I commit the situation to you. Why is it easier to walk out of the bank with no thought or consciousness of it may not happen than it is to walk out of the throne and say the same thing? Well, you said, I can hear your thoughts. You said, because I have a receipt in my hand. So do I. It's right here. Amen. Didn't 1 John 5.14 tell us this is the confidence that we have in Him? If we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And if we know He hears us, then we know we have the petition we desired of Him. Isn't that what it says? 
is basically saying the same thing. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in Him, and He'll bring it to pass. So what is required for Him to bring it to pass? My trust in Him. I have to trust that He will do what He said He would do. But in order for me to have that kind of confidence, what do I have to do? I have to know He heard me. I have to know he heard me. 1 John 5, 14, 15. If you can pull those up, Paul, we'll look at those. I have to know he heard me. Because if I don't know he heard me, then the devil is going to wreak havoc with my thought life and with yours. See, once we settle the fact that he heard us, it's like settling the fact that she took our funds and placed it where they need to be. We can unconsciously go about our business saying, it's taken care of. When the devil comes up with all these derogatory remarks about what you're going to and what you committed to the Lord, all you do is just say, too late, it's already committed to the Lord, I trust in him. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, some trust in banking institutions, but I will remember the name of the Lord my God. Amen? And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know we have the petitions that we desired of him. Notice how important it is for us to know. Would you walk out of the bank if you didn't know that your hard-earned money is going in the right direction? Well, you, you want to be sure of it, certain of it. Well, the same thing is true spiritually. And notice this, God wants us to trust Him. He wants us to believe that He is more dependable than a banking institution. He wants us to be confident in the fact that He is a God of integrity. And if He said it, He will do it. If He spoke it, He will make it good. He will stand behind everything He said He would do. He wants us to trust Him with all the heart. And yes, lean not to our own understanding. Our understanding will definitely get in the way and interfere with our trusting God. So it's important that we know He heard us. That we know we have it. Matter of fact, you can be so certain about it that when... Uh, let's just say that someone says, well, your credit's no good. Or your check's no good. You would say, uh-uh. Here's my deposit slip right here. I put that money in there and I know it's there. There's something wrong. And we're going to get it corrected, but I know the money's there. I know I put it there. You're confident in what you did. I want to show you confidence. In John's Gospel, chapter 8. And this is, I'm sorry, chapter 11. Paul, if you can find chapter 11. And notice in verse 4. This is John 11, verse 4. You know the story. The story is about Lazarus, who, was told, who Jesus was told is sick nigh unto death. Right? Okay, when Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death. Okay, Lord. But for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. I want you to hear this. That really wasn't true. Because Lazarus died. Can we settle that? Did he die? Okay. It wasn't true from a natural perspective. There's two kinds of knowledge, natural and spiritual. And when he said this sickness is not unto death, he was speaking faith-filled words. 
death and life are in the power of the tongue. He was setting in motion spiritual law that the Spirit of God would honor and create a reality out of. So he says this, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified thereby. And then he waits a while, then you know the story. It's four days till he gets there. But along the way, on the journey, what does he say to his disciples? We're going to go, come on, it's time to go wake up, Lazarus out of sleep. Oh Lord, if he sleepeth, he's doing, he's doing well. Uh, no boys, he's dead. I'm going to be clear with you. We're going there to, wait, to raise him from the dead. Whoa. See, he really did die, didn't he? In the natural. It wasn't the highest truth. The natural, the spiritual was. Then when Jesus gets to the gravesite, and of course Mary and Martha are making their to-dos about what's going on. Had you been here, my, my brother would not have died, and so on and so forth. Uh, but Jesus, of course, and as kind as he was, tries to comfort them. But I want you to notice here in verse, what, uh, 40, let's find it. Start with um, verse 40. Paul, if you could pull up 40, the next uh, 4 till 43 at least. Look at, look at what uh, Jesus says. John eleven forty. Jesus saith unto her, said I not unto thee, that if you would, what's that next word? If you would what? That you should see the glory of God. What does it take to see the glory of God? I believe the Holy Ghost is here tonight. I believe the glory of God is here in every one of us tonight. I believe the Spirit of God that raised up Jesus from the dead is dwelling in every single one of us tonight. And that we have within us the very glory that raised up Jesus to quicken our mortal bodies and give it life. Well, he said, if you believe you see the glory of God, then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said... Well, what did he say? Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. Heard what? This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. That the Son of Man, God, may be glorified thereby. That's what he said. And that's what Jesus knew the Father heard him say. Now, you talk about stepping out of the boat on the water of trust. We're not talking about a headache here. We're not talking about a fever. We're talking about a man dead four days. Am I correct? Whose body is beginning to decay. Correct? And what does Jesus say? This sickness is not under death, but for the glory of God, that the, Father, that, the, that the Son of God may be glorified thereby. Now, Father, I thank you that you heard me when I said that. And I'm not saying it for my benefit. I'm saying it for these that are here around me, so that they know that you've sent me. You talk about trust? He trusted that the Father heard him when he said that. I know people say, but he's the son of God. I know, but he operated as a man under the old covenant. And said the things I do, so you do also, and greater than these shall you do, because I go to the Father. 
Right? Sure. So in other words, he was saying, Father, I know you heard me. Now let's get the job done. I did my part. I said it. I'm trusting you. So Lazarus, come forth. And what happened? He that was dead came forth, bounding grave clothes, and they loosed him, etc. Notice what it took for Jesus to stand there before all those individuals and make a declaration of his faith in the beginning and then in the throes of the situation where this body is dead, decaying, yet he said, my words are more powerful than death. Life is more powerful than death. If we're going to trust him after we commit our way to him, we got to believe that he is greater than the situation, that he is bigger than the situation. You know, when John said, greater is he who is in us, he didn't say lesser is he who is in us. He said, greater is he who is in us than he that is in this world, right? So where, the, where does the greater one live? On the inside of us. Do we believe he's bigger and greater in us than anything we can face in this world? We've got to get ourselves to a place that we recognize the fact that we have living on the inside of us the greater one, the mighty Holy Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, who quickened Lazarus' body, who quickened the body of Jesus. We've got to believe that he is living big on the inside of us and waiting for us to speak words of faith that will give him the opportunity to create like in the very beginning in Genesis 1, 1 and 2 when he moved upon the face of the deep and when the word was spoken, his creative powers went into action. What do I mean by that? Lord, I'm trusting you in this situation and I'm going to declare my faith. I believe that you're mightily at work in me right now or in this situation right now. I am trusting that you have unleashed the power of your Holy Spirit. Your holy angels are ministering for me. I'm an heir of salvation and they are moving in powerful ways to see to it that what I've spoke, what I said will come to pass. And so you're stepping out of the boat on the water. You're walking by faith, trusting God. And it's up to God to do the last part to bring it to pass. There was a woman, and this testimony just absolutely thrills my soul every time I, I share it. Um, but nonetheless, it's going to be powerful as, as it was the first time I've shared it with you. And you may have heard it before. But this woman came from a denominational background, and she found Mark 9.23. Anybody know what that says? All things are possible to him that believeth. Well, what's so big about that? Well, the problem was this. She had a child that was born into this world. And this child that was born into this world was deformed in every way you can imagine. From, from the word go, just bound. Wheelchair bound. All days of her life crippled. Couldn't do anything. A whole gamut. Just absolutely like almost like a vegetable. This woman found that verse of scripture, Mark 9, 23, and she said, Jesus, when you were on this earth, you said, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. So here's what I believe. I'm telling you what I believe. Sometimes we got to get bold. I believe that you are going to walk into my living room and you are going to heal my daughter. I believe for you to do that. And she did this every day. Multiple times a day. 
I'm just reminding you, Jesus. I said it. You said if you can believe, all things are possible. I believe for you to walk into this living room and make my daughter whole. And she did this day after day after day after day. Now, as far as explaining this, and I'll get to that in just a moment. On the 14th year, in the 14th year, she did her normal procedure. And she stood looking out her window. And she said, Jesus, Mark 9.23 says, All things are possible to him that believeth. I believe for you to come into this living room. And I believe for you to make my daughter whole. When she looked out her window, she saw this little circular light at a distance. It started getting closer and closer to her house. The closer it got, the bigger it got, the brighter it got. And then all of a sudden, it came up to her window. And when it hit her window, Jesus stepped out of the cloud, the glory cloud, into her living room and said to her, Daughter, I am pleased with your faith. I have come to make your daughter whole. And the moment he said that, he lays hands on her body. And she said, you could hear the cracking of the bones. All this taking place in this little girl's body. And she was raised up out of the wheelchair, completely made whole from head to toe. Now, people will often ask, why did it take 14 years? One day is a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years is a day. And we don't have answers all the time for things like that. But let me show you the other one to show you what I'm talking about. Another fella was anointed with oil. The man had club feet. And the man was told that your confession will bring to you possession. You see, if you're going to get anointed with oil, if you're going to be prayed for, if you're going to pray the prayer of faith or agreement or anything like that, if you're going to cast your care upon the Lord, if you're going to commit your way to Him, make sure you have a verse of Scripture that you're going to stand on and let the Lord know, I'm trusting you to do what you said. I trust that you heard me. I trust that I have it. And I thank you that I'm whole. Well, the man had to be taught how to confess the word over his situation. And he had these club feet. And the preacher that was ministering to him took 45 minutes to tell him and instruct him how to confess the word over his life. And this was in a church meeting like this. Can you imagine 45 minutes, the preacher working with one person? No, no, I want you to say that I, 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 Jesus healed me. I've got, I no longer have club feet. And the guy didn't want to lie because you see he was too honest of a person. He said, but you look at, look, there's, there's two kinds of knowledge. There's revelation knowledge and there's natural knowledge. And natural knowledge says that you've got club feet. But the revelation of God's word says, by his stripes you were healed. So you've got to understand there's two realms of knowledge. One's higher and one's lower. You've been catering to the lower one. It's not, now time to cater to the higher one. And start saying what God said and stop saying what nature says or stop saying what physical evidences say. Say what the word says. It took him 45 minutes to get into his heart, get into his mind, get to sink down from his ears into his heart. And after he was anointed with oil, 
he went home and he was told, do not tell your wife anything. You could greet her, go to your bedroom and just say what the word says. I was anointed with oil in the name of the Lord and therefore I no longer have club feet. I was anointed with oil in the name of the Lord and the Lord is raising me up and I no longer have club feet. And he just kept on all night, during the night as he was what, any, any time of consciousness or waking moment. And he said when he woke up in the morning, he went next to, the next day to the revival meeting. And as the preacher was just coming up on the property as well, he met this distinguished looking man in the parking lot walking with two perfect feet. And he looked at him and he said, what did you do? He said, I did exactly what you said. I never heard anybody really sit down and talk to me or teach me or tell anybody that once you've been anointed with oil, some people think that's the end all right there. You were anointed with oil. But no one ever told me, because I've seen a lot of people anointed with oil, but no one ever told me, I've got to believe, I've got to trust. I was anointed with oil. The power of God is at work in my body. And therefore my feet are no longer club feet. They are healed by the power of God. And he went on and did this over and over and over and over again. Now here's my personal question. Why did one happen overnight? And why did one take 14 years? Can anybody answer that? I don't think anybody can. But the Lord did say he was pleased with her faith. Hard to imagine, but I cannot tell you. I admire the fact that the man overnight got his healing. But I admire a woman that could stand for 14 years and make her declaration of faith, trusting that God is a God of integrity and that he will answer the prayer of the righteous and that he will perform the word that he spoke. 14 years. Some of us quit after 14 minutes. If it doesn't happen in 14 minutes, well, I guess God didn't hear me. I guess it didn't work. There was another fellow. Same situation, but almost the same. But it wasn't physical healing. It was about his son. His son was someone that wasn't serving the Lord, as a matter of fact, far from it. He was always getting into trouble, and his father would have to bail him out of jail. He lived in a small town, and in that small town, he was known by the police. They'd pick him up, put him in jail after he had his little hangover at night, and get the father to come and bail him out the next day and say, just go ahead, take him home, he's yours. He said that this would go on time and time again, weekends and whatever. He was always getting into trouble. Well, the father was a believer. And for a long period of time, this would go on. And the father finally just said to the Lord, Lord, what's going on here? He said, first of all, you commit your son to me, and then you take him back. You are an enabler. You bail him out every time he gets into trouble. You act as if he's only yours. But I want you to know that he's also mine. And even though he may not be a believer right now, Jesus died for him also. In actuality, you're stopping the divine flow of power. So what I want you to do is commit your son to me. 
and act like he's mine and not yours. Now you talk about commit trust and God will bring it to pass. So he says, I see it now, Lord. Isn't it wonderful when the Lord opens up our eyes and we begin to see some things more clearly and we walk them out in our lives and watch God work? Well, here's what happened. Man, got to knock on the door sometime later. Same police. Hey, so-and-so, your son's down at the jail. Picked him up last night. He's been over overnight in jail. He's sober or it's getting sober or whatever. You want to come and get him? He said, I don't have a son. Can you imagine the look on the police officer's face in that small town knowing that they've done this for how long? I no longer have a son. I gave him over to the Lord. He belongs to God, so let God bail him out. I mean, the police looked at him pretty funny. You know, what? You heard me. I gave him over to the Lord. I committed him to the Lord. I trust God to take care of him. I'm no longer responsible to take care of him, but my God is. Okay. And he left him there. Eventually, of course, he gets out of jail. And this is a repetitious thing. It happens over and over again, time and time again. One day, sometime later, he gets a knock on the door. And, of course, they said to him, before you say you don't have a son, we just dredged the uh, river and we found this body. We think it's your son. Would you come and identify the body? He said, I told you I don't have a son. I told you my son was turned over to God. It's his son. I committed my son to him, and I'm trusting that God is taking care of the situation. You talk about trust. You talk about commitment and trust. He said, so I'm not coming down there to identify anybody. The next day, he gets another knock on the door, and they come by and tell him again. He said, you know what? It wasn't your son. It was somebody else. Well, appreciate that, but I told you, my son is in the hands of the living God. What is our situation tonight? Is it ourself? Is it our marriage? Is it a relationship? Is it our children? Is it our finances? Is it our job? What is our situation that we're encountering right now? Commit thy way to the Lord, but then trust Him. And He will bring it to pass. You say, well, what happened with this young man? Here's what happened. Two years after that incident, the father gets another knock on the door. Opens up the door. It's his son. His son walks in the door, throws his arm around his arms around his father, and said, Dad, I've accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior and Lord. He's the Lord of my life. I've been born again. And I'm so sorry for the heartache that I've called you, caused you all these years. Trust. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him. And he will bring it to pass. But let me also ask you this question. I should ask it to the Lord. Why is it that we have to get out of the boat in the middle of an ocean? Can't we do it at the, child, the children's place, the little pool where children play in and walk there? Why? It seems like as though that faith is truly stepping out and there's nothing beneath us but what? The integrity of God's word. God's faithfulness to his promise. God doing what he said he would do in his word. And you know what? 
we trust him unconsciously, just like we do that bank teller. We walk out of the bank with no consciousness that the funds might be misplaced. We walk out of the bank knowing for a fact, not only do I know the person, but I have the receipt as well. And I know that I know that I know that I know. I can write a check out and it will be covered. I can pay my bill and it will be covered. Why is it when it comes to God doing what he said he would do? It is difficult for human beings like us to actually believe that God is at work in my given situation. You see, what God wants us to do is act like we truly trust him. What he wants us to do is like what Jesus said, I know you heard me and I know I have the petition I've desired of you. And when the devil comes along and just says, hey, you're going under. No, no, the spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in me. And my God is able to do for me exceeding abundantly above all that I ask or think by his power that's operative in my life. Well, how is it operative? How does it become operative? By saying, by saying the spirit of God who lives in me causes me to succeed, causes me to triumph, causes me to be victorious, quickens my mortal body, empowers me to do the will of God. And the more we say it, the more we trust that the words we are speaking like Jesus are being honored at the throne of God because he said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. And so when he hears us confess the truth of his word over our situation that we're encountering in this life, he takes it to the Father and the Father hears it. And praise God, the Spirit of God makes it good. So trust in the Lord with all the heart after we commit our way to him. Not with the head, but with the heart. Because you see, the head says, how can those walls of Jericho come down without any military force? But the heart says, the God who's in me is greater than, not lesser than the walls of Jericho. And because he's greater, praise God, those walls will come down because of his greatness, not because of mine. I'm just saying what he said. You know, Numbers 13.33, Paul, if you could pull that one up for me. It's based on perspective. We're either going to see our God greater than our problem or lesser than our problem. Greater than our situation or lesser than our situation. In Numbers 13, verse 33, you know the story. They're there before the walls of Jericho. They're there at the promised land. And the spies go out and spy out the land and you know all that. They come back and here's what they say. We saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come out of the, of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so were we in their sight. They saw themselves small. But in actuality, they saw their God small. They saw their God lesser, not greater than the problem. The walls, the giants. But Joshua and Caleb didn't. We're well able to take it. We can take the land. Just don't frustrate God. Don't tempt God. Don't make God angry. Praise God. So, it's important that we learn. Commit your way to the Lord. What have you come with tonight? 
If you come with a broken heart, have you come with a financial need? Have you come with a physical situation that's going on that you need help for? Have you come with a relational situation or a child that's astray and, and not walking with God or whatever? God wants us to commit, completely turn it over to Him and just say, Lord, you are greater than I am. You're smarter than I am. You're more powerful than I am. I am putting my confidence in you. I am surrendering my heart and my will and my child or whatever it is. And I'm basing it on the promise that you have made in your word. You said, if I would commit my son or my daughter to you, and you said, if I would trust you, then you would bring it to pass. So I commit my loved one to you. I trust that you are surrounding him or her with labors of love that will speak into their heart or their mind. Every day, no matter where they go, somebody, somebody meets them. And somebody talks to them about Jesus. They are so confronted with Christians that they don't know what to do. But we're believing for conviction upon our child's life. And you said you would bring it to pass. So let me ask you, if we do our two-thirds, is there any guarantee that God will do his third? I believe he will, don't you? Okay. So if he said, don't worry about your situation, but commit it to me, if he said worry can't add one cubit to our stature, commit your way to me, do we believe he'll bring it to pass? I believe so. Hallelujah. I do believe so. Well, I believe that God is speaking to our hearts. And what I'm believing is that God is saying, I want to be bigger in your life. I want to be able to break through the situations that you're encountering in life right now and show myself to be stronger and greater and more powerful no matter what the situation may be, no matter how hopeless it appears to be. I want you to trust me. Commit your way to me, trust me, and believe that I am at work in your situation. And that I have taken over the situation. I will orchestrate what needs to be orchestrated. I will facilitate what needs to be facilitated. But you could rest assured, more so than you can, that a bank teller would do their part, that I will do mine. Let's all stand together before the Lord.